Hi, and welcome to Dwelling, a podcast that explores how we find and fight for feelings of home. I'm Marnie, and this episode, we're doing things a bit differently. We're not speaking to people who've decided to live differently, but to people whose nomadism is part of their cultural history. Roma. Restrictions that affect all of our homes and freedom to roam are often directed towards GRT communities, and they often feel the sharpest impacts first. Narratives about GRT homes are often heavily influenced by hundreds of years of discrimination, both by legislation and by the media. So hearing firsthand their stories of home is so, so important. You can't tell the history of nomadism or the history of home without speaking to GRT communities. These few voices don't represent an entire ethnicity, but instead are individual stories of what home means to them and how they have fought for fairer futures. My name's Millie Cooper. I'm Romani Gypsy. I work for Warner Brothers in the visual effects department. I'm a visual effects production assistant. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um, home was family, really. Very family orientated. I lived on a site when I was a baby and then moved to Canterbury. My mum and my dad bought a plot of land. Then we lived in a trailer in there and then my dad built a house. I've kind of lived here my whole life pretty much but yeah I think home to me is the people that you surround yourself with trying to sort of get this light is it's dark you know with it being stormy outside hello uh, my name's Gemma Lees I am a Romani gypsy disabled uh, creative from the northwest so my home is a beautiful council house on actually a really nice estate uh, with my husband and my son and our greyhound, Fetchy Von Stick and Ball. I don't know, we, we, had, we had a dog before and we had her for 11 years and she's just loving my life and and it felt very empty without her. So yeah, we, we decided to adopt another one and uh, yeah, I, th- I think a dog makes a house a home. Probably in that I see the building in which my family lives as sort of the you know the 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 house is the house the family is the home we are like super family orientated people yeah my my home is is um we we have a kind of a joke um the 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 dog fetchy is very nervous when not everybody who lives in the fetchy house is in the fetchy house and my husband went out the other night with his friends and he was out quite late. And my son kind of came in, into my bedroom and he said, when, when will daddy be home? And I said, are you wanting all the people that live in the Tommy house to be in the Tommy house? And he said, yeah. So I think we're all very much, all four of us have to be here for it to be our home. Yes, my name is Rosa Cisneros. Rosa Costage Cisneros, I should say. Um, well, the full name is actually Rosemary Elizabeth Costage Cisneros, and I'm Spanish Roma and also um, Serbian, so I'm mixed background. Yeah, I am now based in the UK, uh, but I grew up in between the US and Spain. <clears throat> so my home life was uh, very small, actually. It was my mom and my two brothers my mom was really hard working she cleaned houses she was a beautiful strong woman also had lots of things she carried with her from her background and her tradition some great some not so great 
Um, so I grew up kind of feeling the tensions of that. So I clocked very early that our home was very different from some of the people, let's say, that she was cleaning houses for. We were very poor. Primary school was hard. So I kind of moved from Medway, where there are a lot of travellers and there are a lot of, like... Um, there are a lot more sites and it's just, it's a little bit more normal to be a gypsy in Medway. Coming to Canterbury, where it's like fairly middle class and yeah, the kids are like more religious, I suppose. And I went to a C of E primary school. I remember just getting really badly bullied. Like, oh, I can't come to your house. Mummy says that I can't come to your house because you you live in a caravan. And when I was like young, I was like, oh, didn't really understand why. So I ended, you always end up, if that is the case, generally as travellers, we spend a lot more time with our cousins anyway, but you do end up be, being more with your family because you're kind of put into gorgeous settings. So that's like non-Romany non, non people or settled people. You get put into those settings and then you're othered again. So yeah it, it is a bit difficult and then when my house was built it was diff it was it changed when my dad built the house my dad worked really really hard built like a beautiful house but then it was like oh it's suddenly like people want to come round, but you didn't before it's, it's it's it was odd and I didn't it's only until I've got older that I've clocked what that actually was and since I started making the film and like speaking to other traveler people about it that kind of made a lot more sense and we all kind of felt the same way and kind of understand the nuance of being othered, if you know what I mean. There was like no day off for her. Um, and that was that energy, you know, I, I suppose I, I I could feel the energy of like, you know, taking care of the family, taking care of each other, getting things done. There was always music, uh, whether that's flamenco music or um, radio and in the kitchen we had a tiny we only had a, one tv but it was a tiny black and white tv that you had to turn the dial so I remember that sound of like turning there were just two dials and you had to turn that being quite alive about our household even though there were just a few of us there It's still very loud. I love our home. I really do love our home. One of the things that I think I, I carry with me is that there's always music or sound in the background. I have two little ones, so it's quite tricky. Um, they're also always laughing or fighting. They do, they have dance parties as well, so they decide they each get to pick a song that they want to hear and dance to, and then they turn on the Bluetooth speaker and, you know, just kind of have a party. <laughs> um, we always had, you know, crafts and different things we could make. And I, I, I want my girls to have that as well. And I think, you know, that's, that's something I'm passing on to them. But that's so beautiful that, you know, a common thread is family and, and kind of coming together and engaging. And you know, sometimes families break apart or families have to, are fractured or families, you know, they move across to other countries, across continents. Um, but there's still something I think that 
we hold on to in some way? Well, I've actually just moved back home with my boyfriend um, to try and save for somewhere else to live. And um, I've moved around like in my adult life as everyone does, you know, like when I went to uni, um, first generation in my family to, to ever go to university. So that was quite a big deal. And yeah, so I moved to London, um, lived in Cornwall for a little bit. But as I've got older, I've kind of got more family orientated. I think I've got wanted to be closer to my mum and not wanting to move away from family as much. Yeah, it's really strange. You spend like your whole teenage years being like, right, I need to get away from here. Like, but yeah, I think I always come back, really. It just it feels like it feels normal. It doesn't feel like it it doesn't feel like I've been away or like lived in other places and yeah. Homely, I suppose. Because it's a hard, it's actually a really hard topic to talk about, I find, you know, because it brings up a lot of emotional things for someone as well. And I'm really mindful that not all homes are like safe or happy spaces. So I don't want to kind of, and my home wasn't always a safe or happy space. So, you know, how do you, you know, you honor that, but also say that there is a way to, to build and to create things that you want um, and that you deserve. We all deserve to have that. It's just sometimes some of us aren't given that. So how do we do that? How do we create these safe spaces? Yeah, um, so everything was fine until I was uh, 20 and I found myself homeless and having to drop out from my second year of uni uh, due to my mental health. Um, so I was I was put into a young person's hostel, um, which is both very supportive but also quite uh, there, there's a there's a violent undercurrent. But I mean, it's safe. You get a you know a, a, a key for your room and things like that. But it's also not safe at the same time. You you feel the impermanence of it constantly it's it's a very insecure environment you have to be in for 11 every night they don't open the doors again until eight um so it's a bit like you know having a tag or something in in that respect um and there's a lot of rules and so yeah it's it's obviously massively better than sleeping rough um but it's not a home it's somewhere to stop you sleeping rough and to keep you safe at night. It's you know rather than a than a home in any sense. I think the worst thing is when you uh, bump into people who you knew from school, and the first question everybody always asks, and I never ask this ever because I know what it feels like when you haven't got an answer. What are you up to now? How are you supposed to answer that? If your life is on, it's on hold. You you can't do anything while you're there. You can't you can't move forward. It's impossible. For those communities that continue to you know criminalized for a lifestyle that is their tradition, but that's not entirely new to us. You know, I I remember when I used to live in Kenilworth, there was. Um, a fair in Kenilworth or in Leamington, right in between the two. And 
I think it happens in May, and every time this horse fair was coming into town, the the rhetoric, you know, the way people talked about it, the police, they would set up these brigades, and there would be all of this stuff, like preparing for war, and it was, it's just a market, it's an outdoor market, and they're horses, and it struck me, you know, how they were preparing for this families to come in. Um, and I know that there's a historical kind of tension there, and I'm not best placed to to really talk about that. Um, I can only say what I've observed and what I've learned from speaking to some families. And that's part of my activism as well, because I didn't live that lifestyle, so I don't have that lived experience. But I just remember that I was very sad by that. So you have that, and then you have communities that you know, are used to not being accepted wherever they go. You know, there's always a challenge for being who they are. Their home is not accepted. Their home is seen as either going to be overcrowded or their homes are going to be seen as being dirty or this and that. And those are a lot of assumptions that are wrong. And so it just, you know, for a young person kind of now growing up in this climate where on top of that reality, you have the cost of living, you have, you know, a real right wing government. And the way that plays out in a number of, of places is really sad. Yeah, so that was my piece that I did for British Art Show 9 as an art agent from Manchester. So the end install was a tent and a sleeping bag installed under an archway uh, near home gallery in, Man in Manchester. The tent was covered with embroidery that I did working with the charity, the men's room who work with men and uh, trans folk who sex work or are homeless or both. And they were in answer to five questions that I came up with, which I called the fundamental questions of homelessness. Where do you sleep? Where do you feel safe? Where'd you get food? Where'd you bathe and where'd you go to the toilet? And I embroidered those words exactly as told to me into pieces of fabric that were taken from old clothing and I stuck them onto the tent. And we also did some protest badges um, that we also put on the tent. And um, the idea with that is that our experiences, good and bad, are embroidered into the fabric of our lives and it you never truly get over um trauma um and it does inform the rest of your life and i also wanted those those way those words are heavy um they're 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 heavy words they're heavy concepts and i wanted everyone that was in the tent um when we were getting in the tent and breaking the law technically uh to look up and feel the weight of those words and and sort of wear them for a moment there were sort of two things that inspired it the first thing was uh the vagrancy act um, many parts of which are still um, in in the law and, and actionable and it makes sleeping on the street illegal and it makes sleeping in a tent on the street illegal. Uh, I, I mean, it, it was instituted before um, Queen Victoria. Um, the hashtag uh, that went along with it that I came up with was 198 is too old because that's how old it is. And the other thing that inspired it was that I, I think you can get away with breaking the laws sometimes in the name of art such as like no one's ever tried to find Banksy and charge him under the Criminal Damage Act or anything like that. So I thought about kind of breaking the Vagrancy Act in the name of art as a sort of way of shining a light on it. Well, I mean, this country did it last year. 
um, with the bill. I mean, firsthand, I'm of a generation where it, it, I couldn't, I don't know if how how much it affected me personally, but I have seen it affect my cousins and my granny, my granny and my auntie still, they live on a site. And um, it's, it's really in Bredust and there's like lots of different families of travelers along this one road. And then there was this one plot in the middle that they they wouldn't sell. And it was literally, there was travelers on the left, travelers on the right, and a like the smallest plot, the council were like, no, you're not having it. You're not, you're not buying it. So they lived there illegally. So it was COVID, no one was allowed to see anyone, but the council came and they literally bulldozed that bit down, told them that he had 24 hours to leave. And she had children at the time, young children. No one was wearing masks. Like we weren't allowed to like, we weren't even supposed to be near each other. They were like, served her a notice, you need to go in 24 hours, bulldozed it down away from her family. She had to move away from her family. And it's like, her family are on the left, her family are on the right. What have you gained by literally getting that small piece of land? You haven't get, what have you gained from that? From its inception, targeted uh, GRT people, people who travelled, basically branding them as vagrants because they didn't fit into that sort of uh, sort of ideal way of living that was in a house, working in a factory or whatever, that they travelled and they were sort of more free. It was seen as a negative thing. So there's, there's one about, there's a clause in it about wagons, which prior to the, the new policing and crime act that's come in that's that's sort of being used now it was used uh, against people in uh, kind of contemporary trailers and things like that there was a bit about covered wagons um but yeah it it, it targeted travelers because they were just seen as uncivilized that their, their, their lifestyle was seen as as not being proper so I remember protesting against it. And you know, actually, what irked me quite a lot and annoyed me, and I know everyone can't be an activist for everything, but I was trying to, my, my, my friends as well, I, was, I think I was that still, I just finished uni. And all of them were like, yeah, we'll go to the, we'll go to BLM marches, we'll go to women's rights marches, we'll go to all of this sort of stuff. And I was like, try, I was posting all the time on Instagram and said, and I was like, right, this protest is happening. This bill is gonna get passed, it's like, it's so imperative to like my family's way of life, and it's literally just a pure attack on GRT people. Like it's it's really serious, and I don't think anyone really understood how serious it was. And I no one turned up to the protest. One I had one friend, and that that was that hurt a lot because I was like, that you they're literally trying to wipe out and put our kids in care and put our men in prison when we've already got a really high, like the, the statistics of male travellers and gypsies in prison is like off off the record really. And what have you put that down to them being bad people or is it the same as like, are they oversubscribed in prisons because, because of laws like that? And then it goes back to the thing of family, they're always trying to protect their family but how are they supposed to when the government have literally just passed this massive bill which confiscates their homes, sets them with fines, children in care because both of their parents are arrested, have got arrested. It's sad, if you ask me, it's really sad. Um, 
and it's frustrating as well because it's like the uh, like i think they called us the government called us the traveler problem it, and it's the same thing as what they do with asylum seekers and it's like uh, uh, let's deflect so i don't know how i, I do you know what i haven't seen a traveler pull up on a plot of land for maybe three or four years so there isn't a traveler problem because that was that was what you were trying to boil out you settled all of us the majority of us in the 80s so what problem are you talking about um i used to work for the traveler movement and that's that's what they that's what they tried to take to government like the last acceptable form of racism the the GRT communities are so diverse and so different. I, it's easy to hate a community or communities when you know nothing about them. But when you hear, and you learn that they're living, breathing, you know, humans with families, with troubles, with joy, with, you know, also incredibly intelligent. You know, it makes it hard to separate that person now you know, and, and to just kind of make blanket statements. Now you can, here's an offering and, and, you know, the community is alive and is, yeah, contributes a lot to society, to its own families and is present in a number of different ways. I think if I could say anyone that like, that like, that would listen and wants to be like an ally to GRT people, it would be like, we're not some scary monolith which kind of thing that the media has painted at us painted us up to be and if you come if you have conversations with us just just normal conversations you'll think people will be very surprised on how either similar or not similar at all and i think it's just to kind of keep an open mind and try and not let your preconceived ideas of what a gypsy person is rule your opinion on traveller people before you've actually spoken to travellers. Yeah, we're just super creative people. Um, my dad is um, a famous uh, bilingual children's author and storyteller. I do what I do. Um, yeah, Richard O'Neill, if you... I'm sure if you Google him, he'll come up. I'm good, thanks. I think you're going to go fine this day, aren't you? Very persistent, but in a nice way, but that's great. Yeah, so that's why I got back to you. Um, so, yeah, what, what do you want to ask me? One of the things when you walked into the door of any of my homes when I was growing up would be, if it was a caravan, there would be the smell of uh, cooking gas because a lot of the things that would be powering that before we had electricity would be gas. Um, and also the smell of food. There was mm. always food being cooked. And you get used to those smells and the mixture of, my mum was obsessively clean, whether we lived in a house or whether we lived in a caravan. And there would be the smell of food, there would be the, that lovely familiar smell, but there'd also be the smell of bleach. My mum was a big, big cleaner. And, and, and that's the other thing that people often don't understand about nomadic people and some of the slurs we've had all the time mm. is because we might have lived a bit more outdoors in that actually as a nomadic person, cleanliness is incredibly important because as we found out in the pandemic, cleanliness, washing your hands, all that kind of stuff is linked to health. And if you don't have health, you can't be nomadic. So 
cleanliness is very, very important. So those those lovely mixtures of smells. He didn't do it for a job when I was a little kid. He did, um, he sold like caravans. He had um, a burger van at some point. He he did like roofing, uh, painting and decorating. And I would go along with him. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but I was the perfect describer distractions he did a lot of work for old ladies because he turned up and he did the job and he didn't rip them off so they sort of the old lady grapevine they'd, they'd pass his name around now I didn't know at the time that I was the sort of distraction so I'd get paid pocket money and I think I was sort of like you know shilk shilking the work but I'd go in and like the little old ladies would like bake me a cake or like buy me some sweets and like there was one who used to cut pictures out of magazines and put them in a scrapbook and stuff and they loved me but what I realized later on is that having this like kind of tiny little cherub girl to play with um, was the perfect distraction to stop them winding my dad up while he was trying to finish the work. They'd be out every five minutes like, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want some cake? Do you want to come inside? Um, so they got this like little little girl to 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 play with and and hang out with yeah and then my dad was left to do the work which he was happy with but he always he always told us stories there's a particular one about um, Fezzy Peg who was a cat that owned a record shop uh, yeah, and there was one about his his painter's radio called Ray Radio, and he was like a sort of radio that came alive. Um, so that was always m massively part of my childhood, kind of coming up with stories and narratives and characters, um, even when he didn't do it for a job. Story for, again, for nomadic people, they would either some, you know, a lot of people could read, but a lot of people couldn't. If you think about having minimal space, then you didn't have places for lots and lots of books. So all of our history, all of our knowledge was stored in story and still is to a great extent. So stories and being able to tell them was a really, really good skill, not only for your history to know where you come from and who you came from, but also we used it as a game, you know, it, it was an intellectual game as well. It was, a, it was a sign of intelligence. It was a sign of um, mental agility to be able to tell stories out of, of anything. And, you know, well, my children grew up with that and now my grandchildren. Yeah, my son's um, getting involved now as well. He's, he's showing a particular uh, love for taking photographs, but pretty much for anything and it's it's something we do to you know bond with each other I, I got a, a 3d pen delivered yesterday and he was so excited um I think we're just arty crafty people at heart but stories are just a great way to connect because you know we didn't know this in the past we knew that stories connected you to each other we knew that stories connected you to your home but what we didn't know was all of the chemicals that get released when you listen to stories and, and all that bonding that goes on. So, yes, yeah, stories are incredibly important to nomadic people. It, it's another part of the glue that keeps us together. So Triple C and 53-2 make an advert every year um, at Christmas time um, to do with sort of disability and showcasing disabled talent. And the idea that I submitted was chosen this year and it was inspired by Tommy. Um, and it's about a little boy who wants to go to the uh, grotto at Father, the see Father Christmas, but the Christmas market is just too too much for him as an, an autistic kid. It's like sensory nightmares, just too much going on. And I said to Tommy, I said, you've been invited to play the little boy if you want. And he's, no, 
no, no, no. I just want to see it filmed. I want to be. Um, so he's very excited to tell everybody. He kept going, I'm the inspiration. That night, his mum tucks him in and sees a letter by his bed. And it says that, you know, dear Father Christmas, do you have like a quiet grotto that I can come to? The mums get online and organise a neurodiverse friendly grotto. That's the, the thing. And and we were, um, we were filming at the grotto on the Coronation Street set. So he's very excited to be there on the set and see how it worked and um, see all the props and everything like that but so yeah he was he wanted to be sort of behind the camera looking at, at how it went on so I, I think he really has a future behind the camera so yeah it's it's all come out in different ways but we're all creatives warmth comfort acceptance all of those things that, that you need to create so that they feel safe and one of the things that you're always doing, I think, as a parent, for any parent, is to create a safe environment so that child, whatever goes on on the outside world, that child feels safe in, in that environment. Do you know what? It's probably the distant sound of my husband um, watching sport downstairs. All my, all my, my stuff, my work stuff is upstairs um, and sort of just that kind of distant sound of like American football or something um, from from downstairs and um, the sound of Tommy in his room toppling over his, he's got like these giant Lego bricks and they make a very distinct sound, sort of toppling over his Lego bricks or kind of laughing to himself. Just those kind of um, sounds of the house Sticking along the washing machine, going and um, yeah, just just knowing that everything's everything's okay. Yeah. And for me, I mean, whether you're travelling or whether you're static or wherever you are, it's people that make home. You know, the the old saying of home is where the heart is. I don't think home home is where the people are. So whoever those people are in your family, whoever they're close to you, and whatever your family is, you know, it's not necessarily blood relations, is it, with family? Whoever your people are, then that's where home is. Find us on your favourite streaming platforms, released weekly on Mondays. Follow us on social media at dwelling underscore pod, powered by Transmission Roundhouse.